Today on Grace to the Hearers with Pastor Eric Kluth. That love that the flesh used to produce, that selfishness, that self-centeredness, has now shifted to a love towards others. Amazing, right? It's shifted now to a love for others. When Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, he is saying, tap into your self-love option and use that option for others. That same desires that you used to have for yourself, now take those same feelings and apply them to other people. Our nature is selfish and self-focused. When Jesus commands to love your neighbor as yourself, he calls us to shift that same love from us to others. Pastor Eric will teach a great example of loving others, the friendship between David and Jonathan. When your focus is not on you, but on others, it changes your relationships. Well, let's join Pastor Eric for part two of his message entitled, Love Thy Neighbor as Yourself. And it was common for a new royal house to kill the old royal house. And Jonathan, again, knew that David and his household would eventually rule Israel. And so he wanted to guarantee that David would spare his life. And so he puts that in the agreement, saying, Okay, if you leave, eventually I know you're going to come back as the king. Please spare my family. Spare my family. David agrees, and so Jonathan goes on his way, uh, and, and they come up with this plan. So let's continue in this, uh, this story, this true story, in verses 25 through 34. And now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, and on the seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. No show, David. Verse 26, Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something had happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he's unclean. And it happened the next day, the, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? Uh, so Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Well, verse 30, how do you think this news went over with Saul? Well, it says this. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman— do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast the spear at him to kill him by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. Verse 34, So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. And so here in these verses, we see that the feast takes place. They, they sit down to dinner, okay? And I can picture this like, uh, maybe like a, I know that Jonathan wasn't a teenager probably at this time, but uh, like a teenager and his father. And so they're sitting down, and uh, 
There's a seat missing. So Saul's thinking in his mind, he's thinking, it's okay. David's probably not here because maybe he's sick or something. Maybe he's unclean. And and so that's fine. I'm not going to say anything about it. Well, then the second day rolls around, and they're sitting down at the dinner table. Look down the table. David's still not here. Where's he at? Where's David at? Hey, Jonathan, um, where's David? Where's David at? Oh, well, uh, you know, this pre-planned pre-planned thing that these guys were doing comes to the table. Oh, uh, he's in Bethlehem with his family. His brothers commanded him to go, and uh, he's there. Saul was mad. He was mad, angry. Where is he at? Where is David at? I know that you and him are tight. You are good friends. And then it escalates, right? And it escalates so much that Saul picks up his spear and he throws it at his own kid. I mean, fathers, have you, I mean, (laughs) have you ever wanted to throw a spear at your kids? I hope not. (laughs) Uh, But the anger was there so much. The anger was there and he was so upset because David was not there. And then, then the son, Jonathan then, gets angry and says, why should he die, Dad? Why should he die? What has he done? And it's like, I can just picture this thing. I don't need you to talking, son. I just want him here because he needs to die. (laughs) Okay. Well, what did he do? And so then Jonathan gets up from the table, anger, uh, with anger, and he doesn't eat, and he goes, right, and slams his door in his room. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But that's like the typical scene, right? He's angry because his heart breaks because David has a heart for God and that his dad wants to kill him for no reason. Why should he die? What has he done wrong? Well, Saul doesn't have to answer because he's the king, right? But instead of answering, he throws a spear at his own son. Okay, dad, I'm getting up. I'm not eating anymore. I'm grieved. And so Jonathan's heart is broken Finally, verses 35 through 42, okay? We'll see the goodbye between David and Jonathan. Because remember the deal. Is it safe for David to come back home? No. There's been spears thrown during the dinner table. It's not safe. Verse 35. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David. And a little lad was with him. Then he said to this lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot as the lad ran. He shot an arrow beyond him. And when the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow behind you or beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the manner. Verse 40, then Jonathan gave his weapon to his lad and said to him, go carry them to the city. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from the place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another and they wept together. But David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Now this is a sad ending of the story. 
because these guys had such a close bond. They wanted to be together and, and to be the best of friends and to serve together. But here, because of the sinful heart of Saul, they knew that it was best for David to leave, to take off. And it broke both of their hearts. It crushed them both, knowing that they had to depart from each other because it was not safe for David. And David falls down on the ground, weeping, crying, because he knew that he wouldn't be with his friend anymore. He's crying. He's weeping, heartbroken over this friendship. That's a pretty tight friendship uh, for these two to be uh, heartbroken as much as they were. And so then Jonathan again reminds David that the Lord is between them. The Lord is between them, and may they be at peace with each other forever. Now this true story shows us a solid connection between two individuals. A solid connection between two individuals. A relationship between Jonathan and David that was built upon loyalty, built upon humility, and most importantly, built on love. This relationship is a great example of Jesus' second commandment to us. To love your neighbor as yourself. And remember when I said it was a key verse back in verse 17. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. David was loved by Jonathan, and Jonathan loved David with his, like he loved himself. A prime example of what Jesus had said back in Mark, to love your neighbor as yourself. But what does that mean? What does love your neighbor truly mean? What does that look like? Well, Jesus answered this by saying this in Luke 6, verse 31. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. It's the golden rule. Why love other people? as yourself, because you want them to treat you as you want to be treated. It's the golden rule, right? Well, the golden rule got it from God's Word. (laughs) And so uh, God has put this truth in His Word by saying, you know what? You love one another because this is how you want to be treated. You want to be treated with love. So treating others the way you want to be treated, loving others the way you want to be loved. Could it be, you guys... That the creator of the world, the one who has designed you and me, knew what he was doing when he spoke these words? Do you really think that he knew what he's doing by saying, love others as you love yourself? Of course he did. Of course it makes sense because he's God and he's perfect. And, And Jesus knows that we are naturally selfish. God knows that you and I are naturally selfish. We're naturally prideful. Because it was very interesting to me when I was reading that commandment, love others as you love yourself. Well, that means that there's got to be some focus on myself, right? Love others as you love yourself. What does that mean, you know? Because I've heard that saying, I've heard that many times growing up in the church, teaching it from the pulpit, I've heard Jesus say that. But what does it truly look like? What does it truly mean? Because here's the thing, we are naturally prideful, we're naturally selfish. The Bible says there's not one good man, not one, okay? Okay, so how do I love then the way that I love myself? Well, it says this, 
in Ephesians 2 to kind of go along with knowing that we are naturally selfish. Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus. He says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we uh, all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and then the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Guys, being selfish, self-loving, self-centered comes as a standard option in the human being. I'm going to say it again. Selfishness, self-loving, self-centeredness comes as a standard option in every human being. What happens, though, when Jesus takes over your life? What happens when Jesus then becomes the Lord of your life? What happens to this standard feature that is in all human beings? What happens to the pre-programmed feature? Do they just disappear? Do they just disappear? Well, no. They're just reprogrammed. They're just reprogrammed to operate differently. Same love, same love, but different focus. Same love, but different focus. So that love that the flesh used to produce, that selfishness, that self-centeredness, has now shifted to a love towards others. Amazing, right? It's shifted now to a love for others. When Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, he is saying, tap into your self-love option and use that option for others. That same desires that you used to have for yourself, now take those same feelings and apply them to other people. Put your love that you used to focus on yourself and put it on others. An amazing concept. Everything you would want for yourself, do unto others. Now I was really thinking about this, and I have to say, this is actually a brilliant idea. For example, I love when somebody feeds me. I love it when food is brought to me, when people come to me and serve me food. Well, guess what? I can take that self-centeredness of I love people serving me food where I can go and serve others food and give them food because now I've taken that self-centered love that I love being served food and I can now serve others food. Does that make sense? Okay. I love it when my wife cleans the house, right? I love that. You know, well, guess what? Then I should go help clean somebody else's house. I should serve in that same heart, you know, where I love to be ministered to. I love to have, you know, things done for me. Well, then guess what? That same love that I have for myself, then I need to turn that love towards others. Pretty amazing, right? I love it when people listen to me. When I'm sitting here and having a conversation and I'm just blabbing my mouth, blah, 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 and that person's just like listening to me, you know? I like that. I like it when somebody listens. Well, in the same flip then, if I love that, then guess what I should do? Listen to others. Do you guys see the, the, how this is working? Is that whatever you love, then show that love to others around you. <laughs> you know? What do you love? How, how you love yourself is how you can give love to another person. How you love yourself is how you can love the others around you. Our text says that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Again in verse 17. Meaning that he loved David and he treated David the way that he wanted to be treated. 
And so he offers up in this situation, he says, David, if the situation is bad, I'm going to present you a peaceful way out of here. Well, don't you think that that's what Jonathan would want in that situation? If he was the one who was running away from somebody who was trying to kill him? Most definitely, he would want that peaceful departure. Uh, the idea of loving others as you love yourself will transform the relationships in your life. The idea of loving others as you love yourself will transform the relationships of your lives. Meaning what? It will change your marriages. It will transform your marriages. If you start taking the attention, and if you really think about it, you guys, I'm getting excited about this. If you really think about it, you probably think of yourself quite a bit during the day. Right? Oh, I like this. Oh, I like that. That bothers me. That doesn't bother me. Well, take that same attention on yourself and then put it onto others around you. Put it onto your wife. See what takes place. You know, uh, it will change your relationship with your kids. It will change your friendships. It will change interactions with total strangers. It will totally be an amazing experience because you are pouring into them what you like. Hey, you would like a bottle of water on a hot day and you see somebody on the side of the road, you can give them a bottle of water because you know that that would speak love to you and you would like that. Well, I bet that guy would like that too. And so you, then you pour into them. It, it's amazing. This will change the relationships that you are in and because the focus is not on you, but it's on others. The focus is not on you, but it's on others. And your love for self has been shifted to the other person. You take what you love in your flesh, and you have shifted it now onto that person around you. Uh, and if you're like me, you have a lot of love for yourself. <laughs> you have a lot of love for yourself. Now that person who you're with can now receive that whole lot of love that you have. Because guys, you know what? The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. Love never fails. Love will never fail you. God's love will never fail. And so Jesus Christ, looking at it now in, in the eyes of Christ, was Christ an example of this love, of loving others as he loved himself? And most definitely he was. And God is perfect, the Bible says. And God took his perfect self and he came to this earth and he took on our imperfections, right? Why? Why did God do this? Because of love. Love. That's why God so loved the world, right? And God is love. The Bible tells us that, that God is love. Love is who God is. Love is who he is. Remember back in Ephesians 2 when I said that our natural flesh was to please ourselves and to walk in our selfishness? only to do the things that we would want to do? Well, in verse 1, Paul says this. He says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Then he says in verse 4 how God did this. And it says this. This is key. Ephesians 2, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, mercy meaning not getting what you deserve, right? God is rich in that because of his great love, which he loved us. Continuing in verse 5 of Ephesians, it says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive uh, together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And so it's by God's love, by his grace and his mercy, 
that he has poured out uh, to others. It's because of God's love for others, you guys. This is amazing. Uh, and he then offers his mercy and his grace. And again, Chuck has taught us last week what grace looks like. It is unmerited favor. It's nothing that we can work for, but it's God's gift to us. God's grace has been given to you and I. And by God's love, he has given you grace that saves you, and his grace is in Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. And since, since Jesus is God, Jesus has put his own love towards us. He's put his own love towards us. He has eternal life. He's got that. He loves eternal life. He's perfect. But guess what he did? Because of his love for us, He's taking that love that he loves eternal life because he is eternal life, and he has now given it to mankind. He's given it to us because he has shifted it off of himself, and he's being that example, and he is giving us eternal life, and he's putting his love towards mankind. God is perfect, right? We've said it three times now in the text. God is perfect. Guys, he is perfect. So he likes perfectness. He's all about perfectness. So guess what he's going to do for mankind? He's going to get you perfect through his son, Jesus Christ. He's taking his, who he is, what he likes, what he loves, and he is now shifting that towards others. He has shifted perfectness, and he has now given us perfectness because he loves you and I. Amazing, right? Isn't it amazing? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> truly understanding that Jesus loves us, then we can love him. Once you truly understand how much Jesus loves you, then you can truly love him. Loving him means that you're trusting him. Loving him means that you're letting him live in you. Loving him means that you are turning away from sin and following his way. The Bible says it clearly in 1 John 4:19. It should be on the screen. It says, we love him because he first loved us. Again, it is Jesus being that prime example of taking his love of who he is and then giving it to us. Truly amazing. Truly amazing that God loves us so much to do that. And, and so Jesus is all about the love we show to others. Why is Jesus about us loving others as we love ourselves? Because when we tap into our love that we have in ourselves— and we then decide it's no longer about our own love for ourselves, but it's the love that is around us, guess what will happen? People will know that we are his disciples because of our love. That's how it works. And so God has installed us, and he's used— I mean, it's brilliant, because what Satan has used to try to destroy people's lives with this pride, the selfishness, the self-seeking— uh, attention. God has used that, and he says, you know what? Take that love that you have for yourself, now put it onto others. And by that love that you put on others, people will know that you are my disciple. Uh, amazing to me. Uh, it's just truly uh, amazing. And so Jonathan and David loved each other so much, but they both loved God, number one. And they let their love for God control their love for each other. Therefore, we should love our neighbor as ourselves, and they will know that you are a disciple of Jesus because of that love that you showed them. Love others through the love you have for God. Amen.
Pastor Eric will continue teaching through the book of 1 Samuel the next time you join us. As you've been listening today, perhaps some questions have come to mind. If so, we'd like to help. Just email your questions, comments, or prayer requests to info at gracetothehearers.com. That's info at gracetothehearers.com. We'll be sure to prayerfully respond because it's our desire to help you on your journey as you're seeking to walk with Jesus. You can also post your comments or questions to our Facebook page. Just search Facebook for Grace to the Hearers Radio and join the conversation. And if you can't find a church near you that's teaching through the Bible verse by verse, please let us know. We may be able to help you connect with a Bible study in your area. And we'll certainly add you and your community to our prayer list as it's our desire to see God's Word being simply and systematically taught in every community. Again, you can contact us by email at info at gracetothehearers.com or give us a call at 520-723-7047. That's 520-723-7047. And please don't worry if you haven't been able to write down this information. All of this information and more is available at our website, gracetothehearers.com. That's gracetothehearers.com. Log on and get to know us better. Join us next time as Pastor Eric continues to proclaim grace to the hearers from the book of 1 Samuel. That's next time on Grace to the Hearers.